challenge. We good? I was listening to the new MIA podcast episode yesterday. Those boys are really up to something. I wonder if we could get him get him to listen to an episode, what it would take. I think the, the Randonautica connection. I think he would enjoy Randonautica. I could get to him through that. Have Comrade do it? Yeah, we'll hit up Comrade. Comrade was on this in a in a past life. We don't talk about the uh the before times. Before the Zucka Zuckening. It's still traumatic. It's still a, an open bloodied wound. So, we have a few interesting topics today. We're going to start out like all your other favorite podcasts by by talking about murder. By talking about a horrific tragedy you may be familiar with, that of the Black Dahlia killing. A very important killing, um, especially as it pertains to artists that we, uh, we enjoy and have talked about before. So the Black Dahlia killing is famous for how gruesome it was. Do you know about, um, do you have any, because you I, were in L.A., <laughs> Yeah, no, it's like requisite learning there. It's uh, <laughs> taught about in all the schools. No, actually, I, I feel like there's like a body part missing, maybe a, like a body thrown at a police station or something. Give, give me the details. So, and this is important for later, she is drained of blood. She is cut in half at her waist. And her body has been mutilated, but not haphazardly not there's not just random stab wounds her mouth uh was cut into a smile i think her left breast was cut off uh above her vagina there is a part of her flesh taken and a triangle above that there were several wounds and it was split into parts which is important to the theory of the book that I'm kind of going off of for this. Um, it's one that's on my reading list, and <coughs> I think it, uh, it, it most definitely is probably a strange one for somebody who's not familiar with the work that we do, because uh, it's, it's called Exquisite Corpse. And there's, uh, there's a book that was out before it called The, the Dahlia Avenger. And it was written by uh, a Hodel. I forget his first name, but he is the son of who he believes murdered Elizabeth Short, who he believes murdered, did the Black Dahlia murder. He thinks it's his own father. His father is George Hodel, who was a surgeon in L.A., who was extremely well-connected. Uh, and he was known for his interest in surrealist art. And in Surrealist Art, there is a, a game that is played, the Exquisite Corpse. You take paper and you fold it up several times, and each person in playing the game draws on that segment of paper. And at the end, it all connects into one image. And the idea of this book is essentially that the Black Dahlia murder was done as a real, a literal, exquisite corpse. That multiple 
very well-known artists partook. And each one said, well, I want her, I want the smile, or I want the breast, or I want to cut her in half. Did they do it themselves, or was it like they were directing it from afar? Was this like one event, you think? There's, like, I think he's... I think he's got several ideas. Like, the doctor did it, but they were very likely there. Because there's even a painting of of the girl tied up and a doctor being brought in with guys watching. And it's, who, who did this painting? Um, William Copley, who is an assistant to Hodel and a friend of all the surrealists. And it's called It's Midnight, Dr. Blank. And so the artists involved are big names that you know. Uh, Ducamp who did the toilet. He did, mm. like, the very famous toilet. Yeah, yeah. Du, Duchamp. Duchamp, yeah. Is it Duchamp? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I know, I know. like, in all art history classes, that's, like, the thing you Duchamp. learn. Duchamp. I'm probably yeah. mispronouncing yeah, it. Did you see the video of the, um, <laughs> the Iranian women being taught... Or, no, it was Afghani women being taught about Duchamp's toilet? I'm sure they, they <laughs> like, found a lot of appreciation in learning yeah, about multi- the excellence of Western art. And, you know, how it can lead to uh, horrific mutilations. <laughs> they, you know, they're the always... pipeline, they, it's like the domino thing. Well, they always, they always talk about, like... And this is a real tragedy. Like, this is actually terrible. The female genital mutilation that goes on in um, Middle Eastern countries for, and African countries for um, religious reasons. But here we get them for, uh, for the opposite. You get it for pure, vicious, hedonistic, artistic reasons. I feel like every time I hear about genital mutilation, there's like some part of the internet that screams in my head about like the very like vicious men who are like all circumcision mm-hmm. is the same thing and we're, we've normalized it. And I, I, I've seen different arguments cause I know that um, like the types of female genital mutilation that happens, like the majority of it, at least the reasoning I see is that it's like too basically like keep someone from enjoying sex like it's basically like fucking with the the clit um i don't know that much about the whole subject but i am curious to know like what where where does the mia stand on male uh circumcision circumcision is the same thing like the idea is that the foreskin is what gives pleasure gives a great deal of pleasure and so you sacrifice that to god like that is the purpose of circumcision it is to limit one's own pleasure for the sake of god richard branson All. i think he he got circumcised like as an adult mm-hmm. and he is the the go-to source on what was more pleasurable mm-hmm. and he was he was a pre-man pre-circumcision pre was better yeah not surprising it's uh, it's a horrible thing and it is purely religious but it's a good look at like how science exists to defend like ridiculous religious ideas in culture. This is not magic. This is not uh, utilizing kind of inquiry for the sake of greater development. It's just a defense against legitimate progress. Um, anyway, back to the Black Dahlia, back to, back to mutilation. So then Man Ray, mm-hmm. who's a famous photographer, um, and he did Object to be Destroyed, the metronome with the eye. There's Ducamp, Man Ray... Those are the two big ones. I think them with Hodel. They were the ones who did it. Um, and it gives her an extremely compelling argument. If you look at the art from Ducamp and Man Ray, 
you see the Black Dahlia before and after, like real clear as day, not uh, undeniable. Uh, it's really, it's really something. But the the most important element is this idea of murder as art, murder as an art form, and Bowie takes this idea and he makes a whole record about it. After he did Firewalk with Me, he kind of wanted to do his own Twin Peaks style murder mystery. So he made the album Outside. And Outside is about a young girl who gets art murdered by um, Ramona A. Stone and potentially Leon Black. And they, to do this murder, this is also important. This is the connecting element is um, Black takes on the persona of the Minotaur when he kills um, Baby Grace. And, of course, the Surrealists took on the Minotaur as their god. The Minotaur is the god of the labyrinth, the god of the unconscious, who is pure drive. Like, the, the Minotaur of mythology ate devoured virgins. And, you know, I use this in my myth as well. Like, this idea of a, a purely driven force that devours children. Um, this is also present in a in a creepypasta you sent yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. No, this make that was about to say. Yeah. That. All really? I know is internet content. So there's <laughs> there's like a famous green text about uh, I think it's a two parter about Epstein's island, and uh, that's like one of the integral parts is that on the island it's all these famous politicians, and when they don the Minotaur mask, that is when they are killing and raping. Um, but it is it is only then, and I think it's like. It might be Dick Cheney. It might be. It was some... Stone. It was Roger okay, Stone. That's it, He's that's got next yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's what that makes me think of. But it also like t- twofold. One is like, can you imagine your parent? You know, like all these clues are around, and as you're like burgeoning into consciousness, you're like, hmm, you're, you're taking a lot of pictures of these people. Um, well, like, uh, Hodel would adopt girls to rape at parties with all his L.A. friends. like, And his kids were just like, ah, oh, this is my adopted older sibling, the one who really doesn't <laughs> like my father. But they, what would happen is that... Jesus Christ. I think they'd end up reporting it, and because he was so well-connected with the LAPD, they would just jail the girls. That, that was the part of the Black Dahlia that I, I remember, because we're basically like BuzzFeed Unsolved Mysteries, but on, on something, uh, was that... The cops were, like, clearly not actually looking into it no. once it had happened. No, like, the LAPD is famously corrupt and always has been. But this in particular, like, Hodel was extremely well-connected. Like, he was a you know, top surgeon. Makes me think of, um, I actually know, this is a, a friend of the pod, is the child of, of dentists in a very mm. uh, influential area. I'm not going to drop any locales, but, like, I think that as opposed to being the child of, like, a CEO or, like, blank and blank, because, like, you know, everyone goes to a doctor or a dentist in these areas, so it's, like, one of the most vulnerable instances. Like, if you really want to get to the the root of social networks, like, find the top doctor. Did you hear, I've been, it's funny you mentioned, I've been reading a lot, um, like, you know, Jimmy Fallon Gong, he's got a good podcast, um, he has been looking into dentistry. Dentistry. Mm. They call it sus dentistry. <laughs> dentistry is like a, a major factor in a lot of 
killer's parents and a lot of intelligence agent's parents. I feel like, like, like yeah, my dad. My is, dad's is a, dentist. a dentist. I think yours is too, right? Yeah. Cut, cut cut out right here. <laughs> um, uh, but the sus dentistry. Speaking of sus dentistry, you know what happened at a dentist? Very important event. L. Ron Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard was given his first divine experience at a dentist's office. Under the influence or just under in the, the chair? Oh, like I think he was under the influence and he almost died. And he wrote this book, Excalibur. Mm. from it and it was like a divine message and the word from god because i think he saw like all of the future and one word defined humanity and it was survive i remember talking to a dentist once about fluoride because they make you do mm. the like uh the swish yeah yeah and i was just like kind of like loosely like broaching the subject kind of like you know not not fully outing myself and uh he was like just completely like very very upset by the the subject of the idea of fluoride having anything but beneficial mm-hmm. um you know we should all be drinking a little bit more i think that that would actually be a good mia product is big, like big denta <laughs> they want more fluoride in the waters i think well the funny thing is they were actually i talked to the person with the dental parents and he was talking to me about this and saying how like more fluoride in the water makes people's teeth better, so they want less mm. because they want more reason. To... Ba- based dentists, honestly, based dentists. I think, but think of this as like a product, which is just mm. like you're you're feeling like you're online a little bit too much. You're spending way too much time on r slash conspiracy in the comment sections, and you're just confused. You're like, I thought this was a conspiracy subreddit. Why is everyone so angry at the poster? Um, when you start having thoughts like that, maybe just an MIA fluoride pill could mm. help you out. One a day. Mm, the golden pill. Mm. <laughs> the fuzzy pill. But the Minotaur. The Minotaur as the god of the modern killer is a really interesting thought because it reveals the spiritual and religious bankruptcy of the people doing this. Because I think it's it, it, it tells me even if there's even a hint of truth to the idea that like Epstein used the Minotaur, it would indicate like they realize that there are no gods. Here, here's my take: is like the Minotaur was banished by it's like is it in Crete? Is it like he's Minos Crete, or yeah, something? Mi- Cretan, the king, um, it's king Minos. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. like he's put in there. But to me, that would we're gonna go even even more meta on the Illuminati and say that there's like a royal. Like, not even the royals we can think of, but, like, a giga royal family. Like, the people who are flying around jets with, like, pyramids in them. Those people are like, Epstein, you fucking suck ass. Like, you're allowed to hang out in the labyrinth. You can do whatever you want in here. You're allowed to, you know, fuck around. But, like, you are literally just a half animal, half human, blah, blah, blah like to Cain. us. Like Cain. Like Cain. They've been expelled. Um, I like that, too. Because, um, the like, the myth... The, the Minotaur actually has a name. His name is Asterion. And his mother is Pasiphae. And Minos was cheating on mm-hmm. Pasiphae. And Pasiphae is a witch. So she curses Minos to only come like scorpions and centipedes. <laughs> Out of his... Out of his dick. Um, he, so any girl... He the fucks, limits of pain and pleasure. You we have never... such sights to show you. 
So only when he comes in her is it normal. But it, but she gives birth to uh-huh. to this monster because of it. Um, so they, you know, Asterion, and his symbol is the swastika. His symbol is the swastika. He's sentenced to uh, to the labyrinth, but they feed him. They keep him alive. But you know, his, his choice. Based baby witch antifa member. <laughs> he online, you know exists as a counterpart to the digital anima because mm-hmm. not everybody wants mommy not everybody's going to be like i'm going to jerk off for like 10 hours a day and be comfy online some of them want to get mad they want to get mad as hell and mad so, that they're coming mad, uh, yeah. fucking centipedes exactly like their their cum is bitter and the people hate to taste it so the minotaur guides those children, the children who are not sated by the spider. Mm-hmm. But speaking of the spider, we have a great new web that is being born. Mm. Speaking of, of meta, mm. the metaverse. Web 3. Very, if, if you're not working in Web 3 right now, if you haven't quit your lame-ass Web, web 1.0 or 2.0 job to work 24 hours in Web 3... You're probably dead already. You're not going to make it. <laughs> the metaverse is uh, the culmination of a fantasy of Silicon Valley for some time. It's sort of just a bit that got uh, spread rapidly. I-, I have known of Silicon Valley people like hyping up the metaverse for at least four or five years now. It used to be very like underground and cool. And in the past year, it's been like fucking like they somehow got in their minds that NFTs are the perfect example of it. It's just like anything online. Facebook profiles are the that that's the argument I despise is like we're already in the metaverse. And it's like you're just defining anything online as metaverse. But, you know, Mr. Mark, he's doing a little rebranding from Facebook. There's been a lot of uh, negative association with that name. So we're going to try to get a clean new slate. What is your take on this metaverse? Uh, I think it's going. I think it's going to crash the Facebook stock. I think it's the bad. It's a bad decision. They have a good thing going. They're going to ruin it. But it is. It's correct to view the internet as a place. This is very important to contextualize the space of the internet. Is the Great War, and that's kind of what Urbit is. Like Urbit is a viewing of internet as space. Mm. Like it's because it's so vitally important to contextualize, not just sites, not just like here are places that have their own defined space, but the internet itself and the experience of the internet itself as a space. You know about like a Microsoft Bob. This is a good segue into our sponsor, Urban <laughs> Galen. Please give us money. We know you're sponsoring Wetbrain. Um, who's Microsoft Bob? Some, it's not a dude. It was a program before okay. before ninety five. The Bob of Microsoft. Bob. Bob was the CEO of Microsoft back Bob in the with day. His pipe and smoking his pipe. I was thinking. I was thinking Twin Peaks Bob. No, we're talking. We're talking subgenius Bob. But it viewed the internet. It gave you like a literal home, and you could like click on the different parts hmm. of the room to explore the internet and the the. Bro, computer. that was the metaverse. Yeah, but that, <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like it, using that would have been better for children. Like the iPad or just the computer does not 
contextualize the space of the internet in a way that's conducive to understanding. It's conducive to excessive usage. But like if you if you to go on the internet, to go deeper in, you have to like go out into the dark woods away from your house. Mm-hmm. The kid could be warned far more easily. Like the kid could contextualize like I'm far from home now. By giving spatiality to the internet, you do a lot. I think um, that makes me think of, uh, I know I brought this up on a, a forbidden episode, one of the hidden archives, but there is kind of like this battle happening across the world to basically like be the tech company that gets phones to people who don't have phones yet. So kind of what I mean by that is like, they'll fucking like give hundreds of thousands of iPods to, or not iPods, iPhones or Hawaii phones to like people in India or people in Africa um, who have yet to kind of like have full access to technology. And it's all kind of under this guise of like, we're giving the internet to everyone and it's amazing. And, you know, there's definitely some credence to that line of thinking, but at the same time, being a Scorpio rising, my immediate thought process is like, okay, let's give a million phones to people who have never touched phones before. And this, the caveat with this is like, the, the phones are preloaded. Like, it's not like our phone where it's like, oh, I have Candy Crush here and Instagram here so I can associate the two of them. It's like, they're preloaded with the apps you're going to have access to. Fuck, this was the point. I know we brought this up at another point, but it's like, I can't remember who fucking posted this on Twitter, but it's like, Somewhere, I'm just going to butcher everything. Let's just pretend some place that isn't the U.S., they pulled them, and it was like 80% of people in that area thought Facebook was the Internet because that was the only mm-hmm. thing they had access to. And um, that, as a precedent, to me, is like the biggest guise for like mass psychological testing of like how mm-hmm. we can lock in certain app formations and be like, you're going to associate food with top left and freaking mm-hmm. like socialization with bottom right and it's subtle things like that but like the spatial association with certain impulses like like the sephiroth what's that the, the tree of life oh yeah okay you just innate and well that's like people will say like oh my god the number <laughs> we're, yeah, the we're number talking code, about that that was another thing code looks like the sephiroth but like i i said that <laughs> it's <laughs> true it is true but the apps are more important because the apps are like actual Gods. you can go into yeah Correspondence. Someone should do that. Yeah. Correspond apps and maybe influencers with planets and mm. I, that's I, a good idea. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I wonder. Should uh, yeah, that. I wonder. Maybe no. Maybe um. Maybe thoughts on thinking. I think. Well, he's kind of like the preliminary thinker of our time. I Absolutely. would say this podcast is largely Galen from Urbit and thoughts on thinking are our two main intellectual and capital benefactors. Yeah, my 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 myth of the internet would not exist without his inspiration. What a, what an inspiring young man. Um, speaking of inspiring young men, Paul Atreides. Yes. Um, have you seen Dune yet? The new Dune? Our other, our other benefactor, Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers actually not only gave money to us to talk about Dune, they actually um, funded the Taliban for the past two decades to have guerrilla marketing for Dune. <laughs> I think it goes further back. It was, um, what's the fucking guy's name? Herbert? Yeah, Frank Herbert. Frank Herbert. Frank Herbert 
um, was actually a known CIA operative mm. who was training uh, rebel insurgent forces with he, he was the who's the the Muad'Dib in fucking uh, <laughs> it's a true story it's the guy it's the fucking dude um, the king or the sir you know who I'm talking about the one who got like trapped in Afghanistan oh lord uh, that's the Muad'Dib yes yes if only um, Esme met him we should have Esme on we should I love I love having Esme on mine um, she's always insightful I, I wanted to talk to her about Dune actually because there's a lot of actual Islamic philosophy in Dune. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know you haven't watched the Lynch one, but there's an important uh, distinction that's made in it, which is that <clears throat> like the Bene Gesserit spreading the religion to the Fremen to ready them for Paul, mm-hmm. that's just true in Lynch's. Paul is the Kusat Haderach, and he is the actual messiah I, I think they did a little bit in this one you know like people were welcoming welcoming him when he but it landed. was from the Benny Gesserit yeah in Lynch's it's real like he he is a god Paul is not um it's not fake the religion isn't set into it's like he actually is a god yeah I mean I think it could happen with with our cheekbones man He's He'll become a little brooding god of the real world. Um, but now, what I've what this is what I have to say. Like when I when I take a bite of David Lynch's Dune, I get a nice squishy gel, like a crusty gel. When you take a bite of the new Dune, it's nothing. It's like a holographic meatloaf. I was gonna say it's like. Um, do you ever have like space food? Space oh, ice powder, cream? Powdery? It's like the block of ice cream uh-huh. you get in the little sealed thing, and it's like, this is what astronauts eat. Um, I like that shit, but at the same time, like, it was very dry. Mm-hmm. And I, it was a it was a hard ask. I don't think you can turn Dune into Star Wars. I think it's Sisyphusian. Yeah. I, I mean, the Dune fans are going to love it. <laughs> But the people love Dune. The theater was breaking out in applause at the end of it. Everyone was saying, I understand it all. No, no, no. It was every time they said desert power. Yes. Just (sighs) raucous applause. Um, Speaking of David Lynch, got another very important bit of media. Something something meme analysis thinks about constantly. You want to look into my mind? Look where you dare not, and you will see me staring back. Twin Peaks, The Woodsman. If you if you have not watched season three, just stop listening. <laughs> not really, though. Just just mute it. Keep listening. Get us listens. Maybe leave it running for a few hours, a few days, if you can. We need those listens. Um, not really. We don't care. Twin Peaks is real. It's a true story. I'm not, you know. All right. Spoilers ahead. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but speaking of, as we talked about earlier, <clears throat> what George Hodel did as a Minotaur, like Leland, you know, is that. Like, this is a, a recurring archetype in these kind of wicked, devouring fathers as bestial men. Like, Bob is, is certainly a bestial man. He, he is the, the archetype separated, though. But that's what I mean. He's a Minotaur. He is the Minotaur. Leland is the Hodel. Um, 
so that aspect is true, of course, but there's a a bit more, a bit less, perhaps a bit less emotionally charged, a bit less traumatic. Um, the high strangeness elements of Twin Peaks are not just fancies of Lynch's mind, but are in fact based in reality. Uh, if you read John Keel's Mothman Prophecies, which is the book that drops the scoop on what the Mothman is, you will see a lot of what leads to the woodsmen in Twin Peaks. The woodsmen are those guys in plaid or checkered shirts who are covered in ash or covered in grease. Um, and they wander about serving, you know, obscure functions. But the famous, perhaps the best, the best woodsman scene, got a light, got a light. It's a, it slowed down the scene in the movie or in the show because the people in the car are like, but if you were to speed it up, which I have, he just sounds like, got a light. And a light, and a light, and if you if you when you read the Mothman prophecies, you will see um, when entities interact with people, they constantly cannot get it right. It's like extremely difficult for them to communicate with humans because they are not human. So when they speak, they sound like record players sped up. They sound like they they can't get the right time you know what what's the frequency and they they do they repeat phrases that don't have a, a meaning like in the mothman it's um got the time what time is it extremely similar to like all skinwalker lore mm -hmm. like language because language is one of the human gifts we have a unique gift for language and what keel postulates he calls these phenomena ultra-terrestrials, which I think he's right. I just, I don't think he had it mapped to Jung, which is like, to me, the necessary step to understanding it. Because when he talks about ultra-terrestrials, he's talking about energetic beings that exist outside of our space-time continuum, but exist energetically and can interfere. Mm -hmm. And that is like a really good definition of an archetype. Like, they're real. They're just not flesh and blood like us. They're energetic beings who exist outside of linear time and space. So when they talk to us, and this is true of religious experiences as well, time is no longer time. Space is no longer space. Um, a prophet being given a vision can travel the entire earth and see millions of years in the future and never leave where he's sitting. Um, because the archetype has access to those things, it, it can provide those things. But alternatively, when it is a small, an imp, a demon, or a little angel, a little spirit, they're just trying to talk to us. And so, of course, they're going to have a really difficult time speaking like us, thinking like us, and dressing like us. So they're always imperfect. When I think of the, the woodsman and some of the stories like when they pop up in green texts as well then i think of like the narrative of twin peaks with the bomb drop being mm. kind of like an accelerator for um just the occurrences of these energetic beings like that whole 
the whole scene where it's, you know, the convenience store being lit up. Um, I think about like, I don't know how this would happen exactly, but if, if we had like remnants of particularly like people who had worked in the U S and past that, that could be what's Mm. getting picked up. But at the same time, I then think like, what are the woodsmen of, of 2021 who, who would be like a fire elemental? Cause it does feel like we are increasingly like separated from Mm. actual, uh, Elemental Labor. professions, yeah, yeah, because yeah. like a lot of the the woodsmen are very like uh, Tommy knockers, the spirits of dead miners. Mm-hmm. But to speak of the bomb, um, one of Crowley's students, Kenneth Grant, he describes exactly that: that the dropping of the bomb collectively rended the veil, like the veil to the other world was rent, and it invited. Like that, because that's the beginning of like mass, mass amounts of UFOs. Mm-hmm. UFOs being one of the, like the primary modern phenomena. Because before that, you know, fairies and spirits, but after UFOs, aliens, and strange things, I think very different. Like fairies, a lot of people see very clear similarities between fairies and aliens, and they are, they're real. It's just that today, you know, we might have a hard time shifting into the new Aeon, but the spirits don't. The spirits want the shift and want us to shift with it, which is like what I talk about often is just like angels became aliens. And all so when people are ancient aliensing, ancient aliens gooning, they're making a really major mistake because they fail to recognize that. The Bro, but what about the saucer on the freaking hieroglyphs? The singular phenomena that is occurring across time and space is not... It's They're making the scientific mistake. Where they, well, formerly, all the world was insane. They just didn't understand the science. If they did, they would know they were aliens. They would know they were scientists like us. When, of course, in another thousand years, it's going to be something completely different. Because the spirits change us and change with us. They're not, um, it is not as if aliens were there back in time. They were gods. They were fairies. Now they're aliens. They change their face. Here's the hot take. Modern woodsmen are at iPad repair stores and at uh, the Apple store. They work with electricity. Mm. They're changing with us. And, uh, have, have you ever been inside of an Apple store and there's just too many of them and they're all saying the same thing to you? They look, when, they, when they're repairing the phone, they look into your darkest secrets. They glean horrific knowledge of you. You know, I think about that all the time. Like, if there's, and I'm sure that it exists across many, many uh, intelligence agencies and things, just, just watching the eyes, paying attention to the movement of the fingers... You can tell everything. You can read the unconscious on a person purely through what they do on the internet. So certainly any any spirit, like, well, that's what the whole myth is, how spirits exist on the web. Like there's a, a Sheridan, we've talked about him before in the before times. Um, he believes that there are demons, like a, a large amount of comments online are from literal demons. I think we, we have a few that... Uh, 
that message us regularly. <laughs> message in the in the DMs. <laughs> if you are compelled to uh, be an unanswered DM in the uh, MIA Instagram account and or the the personal Instagram accounts of, of particular hosts who have shown their faces at different times. I would start to question, perhaps, what is your internet usage like? How much do you remember? You are you are steps away from being an internet daemon. I think that um, I love that idea of just one. You know, you can read everything on some. Like we we walk around. I've definitely said this before, but like we walk around with our entire stories written on our faces and bodies, like past, future, present. Um, I, I love people who are like that in touch with physicality as well, who could tell by like the slight droop in a left elbow that you were like, oh, you got hit in the head with a frying pan six times when you were eight. Um, that kind of stuff. And like how that, I, I read a body language analysis book recently as, as requisite reading for the agency. We can have Rex just like eh, 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 for that. But, um. I love that kind of stuff because it's it is unbelievably true and when you start to like see it more than you probably should it is uh jarring especially in the face cuz I, I feel like you know they they say like oh you, you can't tell who's lying and it's one of the hardest things in body language analysis You're but it's like fucking idiot. Yeah, I mean the the stipulation with that is like you can't teach the ability to lie detect to the, everyone in the populace, but then some people, for some reason, are insanely good at it. And I they think just uh, it comes down to, like, if they're uh, Scorpio Risings. <laughs> it's all about the, the Sigma male gaze, the piercing. <laughs> yes, the Sigma male gaze. But speaking of absolutely true, let's talk about Hellraiser. Okay. I'm going to let me in. <laughs> This is the mythos of this podcast, is that line. Hello, it's Brother Blair. This is Brother Chapman. Are you going to let me in? The importance of Hellraiser is indescribable. It's the most important movie I could tell you to watch. Maybe even more than, more than the Lynch movies. I think Clive Barker is describing a very beautiful portrait of the nature of desire in Hellraiser, along with a very, very real occult reading of it. Um, obsession. You know, I was having this conversation uh, a while ago, but in, uh, in magic, there is an antithesis to the Tree of Life. It is the Cliffoth. As opposed to the Sephiroth, there's the Cliffoth. And the Cliffoth means... In Hebrew, it means husk or shell. So for all the fruits of the tree of life, there are the husks on the cliff off. And um, is it Yesod? Yesod is desire. Is that like the middle down one? Yeah, Yesod. And Yesod is the moon, right? Mm -hmm. Yesod is the moon. And the cliffothic form of Yesod is Gamaliel. And... The Gamaliel are an inversion of the Christian cherubs, which are the four angels that surround the throne of God. Lion-headed, eagle-headed, bull-headed, and human-headed. And they're the four elements. And uh, the Gamaliel are an inversion. And the four Cenobites of Hellraiser mm -hmm. are this inversion. 
um, Yasad rules sexuality and desire. And the idea is basically with the cliff off is like, this is repressed desire. This is what happens when you become perverse, when all of that repressed energy becomes perverse in the unconscious and then comes out. That is what happens to Frank. Frank's desires are obsessive and perverse, and it leads him to the literal embodiments of that in the form of the Gamaliel. Um, and the way to view it is just like, what is a good obsession? A good obsession bears fruit. A bad obsession bears nothing but worse and worse obsession. And that's the box. It's the phone. What of our good doctor in the second one? <laughs> oh, we're going to, we'll talk about medical obsession. Now, medic, many doctors are obsessives, without a doubt, especially the prolific ones. Well, you know, who's another good example of this archetype is uh, Dr. Strange. Mm. Like, he was obsessed with being the best surgeon. And when it gets taken from him, he still can't stop. He gets into magic and he becomes the fucking Sorcerer Supreme. Like, an obsessive... But he, he, his bears fruit in both, you know, both as a surgeon and as a magician. But Frank and Chenard in the second, like, they're... And Julia, perhaps even most of all, like, she gives her life to perverse desire. And she gets fucking stabbed for it. It's nothing. Like, she meant nothing to Frank. Though Frank meant everything to her. And Kirsty, of course, is just in the midst of it all, but she does open the box. Her curiosity gets the better of her. She opens the box. And that is, I think, the sin. That's why the, the Cenobites, even though they make the deal, like, oh, we'll let you go if you bring us Frank. But she still opened the box. Mm -hmm. She can't get, it can't just be forgiven that her desire led her there. Like um, fucking in No Country for Old Men. It's like, if your rule brought you here, of what use was that rule? And that is the, the nature of desire. If it brings you to somewhere terrible, what good was it? And that's just how I view the internet. The internet as the box. You get obsessed and you fall deeper and deeper and deeper. And you, you meet these four perverse spirits. Hmm. Suddenly they're DMing you. Constantly. Asking asking strange questions. Getting mad when you don't respond. <laughs> I uh, have one final metaverse discourse note that I remembered that I wanted to bring up, which was um, they're going to try to trap you. They're going to try to make it seem like it's open to developers, but the, the very company that is laying this snare is the one that has been known to like be cutthroat in its basic like what's the word assimilation what's, mm. what's it called when something like pulls it into another assimilation thing? okay assimilation of like all competitor technology and the other thing this is some real insider knowledge i got from a hot scoop from a phone call earlier today but libra the facebook crypto coin is going to be an extremely central part of all of what is to come. And there's like a convention that happened the same weekend or some kind of gathering for all these like very smart VR um, dev people. But 
it's all sort of like a ploy to basically just like position oneself to be the gigantic uh, Gamaliel honeypot. Is that event 22? I think um, we're going to get... Oh, bro, are you going to NFT Fest? (laughs) Buy our NFTs. NFTs are very, very cool. And if anyone like Galen, perhaps, is listening to this podcast and you have, you know, an extra 50,000 Ethereum laying around, there are still, what is it, six NFTs up for sale. We're allowed to say this. We've sold them. Our opinion of NFTs is like vastly more valuable than the majority of NFT Twitter users. NFT, this is my hot take if anyone makes it this far. NFT Twitter and sex work Twitter, indistinguishable. The exact same marketing techniques, the exact same desperation, the same like fucking copy and paste Twitter DM that's going to get you flagged as a bot, even though you're going to send it 70 times, irrespective of your intuition telling you Facebook would not allow this, Twitter would not allow this. You're still going to do it because you're on your Gary V hustle set and you need to be in Web3. If you're not in Web3, honestly, I'm going to give you a little hint. Web 4, 50 years from now, Web 4 is going to involve taste and new sensations, new layers of pleasure and pain that the internet can provide, an actual physical encounter with the digital anima. I know that sounds counterintuitive, digital and physical. What if they were the same? What if you could go outside and you could be in a new reality? The wired made one with the real world. Web 5.0, the real world itself. (laughs) All right. All right, that's it. You downloaded the episode. We came. Very good. Thank you, Shin.